I'm Kristen, and this is the Explorer in You podcast. Now, what I've discovered after visiting five continents and some amazing places is that the greatest thing standing in your way of seeing the world is what you believe is possible. I believe that travel is for everyone on any budget, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So this podcast is all about unlocking the explorer in you. You'll hear stories from people who will inspire you to set big travel goals and show you how to achieve them. Let's explore. Hey there, welcome back to the Explorer in You podcast. So on today's show, I am talking with travel writer and adventure traveler, Adrian Jordan. Now, Adrian has contributed to Condé Nast, Lonely Planet, National Geographic, Afar, and the list goes on and on. She's not only an accomplished travel writer, but she is an avid scuba diver. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Adrian has completed almost 70 dives at this point, and she's been scuba diving all over the world from the Maldives to Tulum to Dubai. But for Adrian, diving isn't always about the thrill of adventure. It's also meditative, sometimes almost spiritual experience. And she's also found a way to bring meaning to her scuba dive expeditions. Like when she dove with Diving with a Purpose, which is a nonprofit that focuses on training high school students to document and interpret African slave trade shipwrecks. So on today's show, Adrian is giving us some great advice and stories around scuba diving. And I have to admit that I've always been intimidated by scuba diving. I'm not a great swimmer. And the idea of having all that gear around my face just kind of freaks me out a little bit. I worry about being claustrophobic when I'm down there. But after talking with Adrian and hearing her describe what it's like to be underwater and be in this, what feels like another world and to be able to float along and explore and let your mind go or focus on what's right in front of you. It got me really excited to actually try to get certified. Today's show inspired me to see the world in a different way, and I hope it does for you as well. Let's dive in. So I was hoping that we could start with you sharing a little bit about your story and how you became an adventure travel writer. Right out of college, I um, interned for a uh, a golf magazine based in New York, and they also had a travel section and other lifestyle uh, topics. And because of the recession, we were coming out of out of a recession. They had gone from being um, in print to needing an intern to help them with their transition to being web based. A web-based magazine. So that was my first introduction to travel writing. Allowed me to take press trips and go to different destinations in the U.S. and the Caribbean. That was my first time, uh, early 20s, being able to, you know, take a fully sponsored trip and on someone else's dime and ex- experience different adventure, you know, like activities like uh, snorkeling and kayaking, parasailing, golfing, all of these things, um, and have it fully comped and then 
in, in return for the experience, I was able to come back home and then write about it and get it published in different, well, in the golf magazine. But then after I left, left that internship, I started writing for the Washington Times, being based in the D.C. area. I was looking for other freelance opportunities. So one of my first outlets was the Washington Times newspaper. So I did a few articles for them. And then just from there, just kind of like, snowballed into other, you know, other publications, web-based. I would say it's been about 10 years since I've been a travel writer, and I can see that there has been a a huge shift from writing, I would say, 70% print magazine content or travel content to now present-day 100% digital. Big transition from, like, print media, um, freelance budget to mostly, like, web-based because of, I guess, e-commerce and different um, affiliate marketing that these publications are able to, to, to utilize. Um, but then from the adventure standpoint, I've always been, I've been a runner for a long time, for almost 20 years, like since high school, and even before just running and loving the way that working out always made my body feel. So when I travel, I always look for something that's going to get me, you know, my adrenaline pumping or workout um, related experience. So I usually try to arrange that before I travel on any of my assignments, like a lot of scuba diving excursions in the Caribbean or tropical places. Or if I go like to an urban area like Denver, then I try to seek out the running trails and like healthy restaurants. So it's kind of nice because I'm exploring, but also doing things that I love to do um, with, you know, a healthy lifestyle as well as adventure. Yeah, it sounds like um, that was a great opportunity coming out of college. And then it combined your, you know, natural love of adventure um, were you a write? Was your major in writing or? No, I wasn't. I was biology pre med, and then I, yeah, halfway through, I would say, end of my sophomore year, I decided that going into med school would be very a big commitment um, for my personality. Like I had degrees in academics, but it was more of like, you know, do I want to make this six figure investment into my education and devote the next eight years of my life to med school and rotations um after college when I know I'm very much a creative person I love fashion um I did some modeling in college and I knew I wanted to have a life where I could kind of be more of a free spirit and sort of paid my own way through life and I, I knew that medicine would be very much a 100%, you know, mind-body commitment. (laughs) So I thought maybe I would still do something with biology. So I kept my major and I looked into some lab tech positions out of college, but nothing really like clicked for me or even seemed interesting. And then when the internship popped up, it was very much a random Craigslist opportunity that ended up being like a faithful match because I really didn't know exactly what direction I wanted to head in after college but then over the years I kind of had a synonymous relationship with real estate investing so that's been a way to create like passive income like having properties and then uh, you know because to be honest in all fairness freelance writing is for one is up and down and even through the ups it's not a lot of money (laughs) so 
um, to have security through like being an entrepreneur, it has been very rewarding. Yeah. And it sounds like it allows you to keep up the lifestyle that you want. Um, and it's so interesting to get that sort of inside peek into like travel writing. Cause I think a lot of people probably romanticize it a little bit like, Oh, you know, and it does actually probably is very romantic in the sense that you're getting paid to write. That part is, is true. But like in terms of having a career and supporting yourself, it might be a little harder. And so I can see your approach of like, it's something I love to do anyways. And so if, if I can get paid, that's great. Um, but then I have these other ways of supporting myself. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, less about the writing supporting supporting me financially um, and more of like being able to consider it like mostly a hobby that still runs most of my life. But I don't feel a stress-related attachment to the ups and downs of, of being a, a freelance writer. Although... I had a couple of stints with full-time um, editorial positions. One was with the USA Today as a travel reporter. I also did some work with a travel online marketing company that was also W2-based, but um, those are also very short-lived, only lasted a few months and realized that I, I couldn't travel. <laughs> you know, I'm writing about this travel, writing about travel content and, you know, all these great experiences and travel guys, but as a full-time writer on a salary, W-2 salary for a corporate company, like especially like USA Today, there isn't any travel involved. So I'm like, why am I a travel writer and I can't travel? So being a freelancer has been more of my bread and butter. Yeah, it sounds a lot like, you know, do you want like that freedom and flexibility set up for, for yourself? Well, thank you for giving us that inside sort of... <laughs> About uh, you know, peek into the the travel writing world. I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about some of your adventure travel. I know you've done a ton of different things. Is there you know an adventure that you had that was just really unforgettable that you would recommend you know listeners try to go and experience? I feel like there's a, a few different ways you can approach travel, and I have personally met like avid travelers that you know have different motives so you know there's people that travel like for from a culinary aspect they love to they're foodies and they love to just try new restaurants or hole-in-the-wall restaurants in different places or people that are history buffs and they like to just visit different monuments or libraries and you know learn more about the history but for people that are interested in adventure I would definitely say kind of figure out what is what is your your interests or what things do you like to do or what things would you, would you want to do if you had like unlimited access or resources or money um and then kind of like go from there and for me like number one on my list is scuba diving so I, kn I know that if I go to a place that has that available then I would definitely recommend like doing the research beforehand and and even places that you may not think you can dive like are actually diveable like I went to Dubai and I went to Fujairah which is one of the smaller emirates and that's about an hour and a half from Dubai and I was able to dive like right off of the shore of a obscure United Arab Emirate, Fujairah is just really amazing. Um, so it really is about planning and knowing like what you want to do. A lot of it is about organization and then knowing like what you can really 
get into in a destination. For example, if you're know, planning a trip to Europe somewhere and, and you, you know that you're into hiking, it really is just about you know reaching out to locals, either through Facebook or Instagram. I've, I've actually contacted people that I've seen on Instagram and different places that I plan to visit and just ask them, like, what are your local tips? Do you know any tour operators or businesses that you recommend I contact? And that way you kind of cut through a lot of the, the noise of different travel sites or propaganda or um, articles that may may not really be either truthful or accurate or maybe even available. So um, I would say I've learned over the years that like having that local connection is is so critical and um, key to having a great experience, you know, whether it's adventure travel or anything that you plan to do. Yeah, I like that because it's like, okay, just go direct to the source and like cut through all the stuff. And so you mentioned scuba diving and I know you are a passionate scuba diver. And I think I read that you dove over 60 times. Is that right? Yes, actually coming up on, um, yeah, I'm pushing, knocking on the door of 70 dives. My last two were in Tulum um, a couple months ago. I love, uh, that's one of my favorite places actually to dive, the uh, cenotes. You know, there aren't too many places in the world, I think, or at least that you may even be just cognitively aware of that are hundreds of thousands, if not a million years old. And just to be able to like actually be so near to something that's so ancient. And that's what I love about diving into under underwater caves that have taken hundreds of thousands of years to form and flood and just kind of, it's a very spiritual experience. Most people that dive there, I, I believe, have that same kind of feedback, like very quiet, very introspective, you know, diving there in Tulum. And, and that's not to say I, I love I love diving in um, the Caribbean as well. Coral and the marine life is also very stunning. I would say one of my favorite places is St. Lucia. They have like a marine park that was conserved uh, as a marine park before many other places in the Caribbean. So a lot of the coral and marine life is very healthy there. Um, you might experience bleaching or overfishing or just um, just human disruption. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> disruption and other, other dive sites. Um, just generally around the world and even in the Caribbean. Um, and I really felt like St. Lucia was definitely some of the best diving. It, yeah, it sounds like they are protecting their um, water, water wildlife. I've seen pictures of you diving in the cenotes and like it just looks quiet and peaceful. And I know that um, they are very spiritual places um, to the indigenous people. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that there is a sense of being in a magical place. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite, most favorite diving I've experienced outside of like the coral reef type of diving. And then um, what is it that you love so much about scuba diving? Being in a um, self-contained underwater apparatus, which is what scuba stands for. It's like a, a way to be like in your own element. You can't communicate with anyone underwater uh, except for hand signals. So you really are kind of in an introspective state being underwater, just surrounded by tropical fish, octopus, nurse sharks, different 
colorful organism, of course, the colorful coral. And it's, and it's just like you're moving around based on your own ability to be buoyant, which just means you can regulate your, your movements by breathing in and out. And once you have more practice, it becomes even easier to just literally like you can, or you can be standing underwater or floating underwater, not moving because you've been able, you've been able to regulate your breathing so well that you can just move with the current or move with your breathing. And so it becomes like a meditative opportunity to just be in your own thoughts, but maybe not even think, just kind of take in everything around you, like a beautiful underwater landscape that is like nothing else. There's nowhere else on earth that you can experience being underwater while diving and, you know, experiencing different landscapes underwater and different marine life. It is a very unique opportunity. Yeah, the way you're describing it, it's like a way to have an otherworldly experience on earth, you know, it's like where you get to have those types of experiences without like, you know, going out into space or yeah, that's really cool. And you got me really excited about attempting to scuba dive. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. I have friends and family that are interested, but then others that are just like, no, I have no like interest or I have a fear of water. If you have a fear of being underwater, I have a fear of being open water, like open ocean water. It's like, wow, you guys are really missing out. But I guess it isn't for any, everyone. Hey, explorers. We'll get back to the show in just a moment, but I wanted to take just a few seconds to invite you to the free workshop that I created. It's called the three secrets to starting your successful podcast. Now it's all about helping you to start your dream podcast so that you can share your voice and expand your business. If you want to join, just go to explorerandyou.com. It's totally free. All right, friend, back to the show. So where did you get certified and are there organizations that you would recommend people to people who are, you know, wanting to go and get their certification? Yes, um, I got certified in Turks and Caicos. Um, I think it's been almost four years now that I've been certified. And um, I originally tried to get my certification in Portugal, um, in Algarve, which is in the southern region of Portugal. So the ocean was very murky. It was rocky, terrible. Uh, and, I, you know, this is my first, literal, literally first introduction to being in an open water situation with scuba diving gear. This is like the Atlantic Ocean. Like, <laughs> this is not the Caribbean, like, calm sea. So literally, like, got sick over the boat very scared going down like I think we went down to 30 feet and it was was like being in a murky bathtub like you couldn't see anything you could only see like maybe your hand in front of you like two inches in front of your face everything else was like brown but when you got to the bottom there were things to see it finally became a bit more clear but it was pretty um pretty scary and (laughs) So I didn't complete my certification in Portugal because I didn't go back the next day. And in order to get certified, you need two successful open water dives. So a few months later, I went to Turks and Caicos and it was like a walk in the park. Like you could see 50 feet down from the boat. Everything was super clear and calm and the sun was shining. The boat was was not rocking at all. <laughs> so and then as far as the organization, uh, I've always worked with Patty, Professional Association Dive Instructors. And they have like thousands of offices around around the world and dive shops and that you can 
you know, find on their website, patty.com, P-A-D-I.com. And depending on where you live or where you plan to travel, um, they have like a list of their certified dive shops so that you know that you're going to the appropriate certified professional instructor. It's usually uh, some training beforehand online that you do. It doesn't, doesn't take too long. I think it's me a couple of days um, to do the online course. And then once you get to the dive shop, then you do a couple hours in the pool using your scuba diving equipment. And then once that's successfully completed, then you go and do your open water dives in the ocean. And uh, that's usually like two different days you go or you, you do four dives total but two tanks which just means you'll go in the morning for example and you go on one dive for like 40 45 minutes and then you rest and then you go on another dive and then the same the next day you repeat the same thing so you technically leave with um four dives under your belt and then you get your your card from the dive shop and so then you're certified to dive up to i believe it's uh 60 feet for open water divers and then if you like there's a lot of shipwrecks especially around the Caribbean that are sunken at, at deeper depths than 60 feet um, so you would have to get advanced open water certification which is not difficult it's just doing a few more dives with an instructor and, and performing certain tasks after that's completed then you can be certified to go down to I believe 120 feet so I, I would definitely recommend at least doing those two the open water and then the advanced open water because then you're kind of covered depending on where you travel and what things you want to see especially like shipwrecks that would be at a deeper depth than 60 feet okay so then that gives you options it sounds like yes and then, so you mentioned shipwrecks. So um, I know you've done dives with the Dive with a Purpose. And can you tell me a little bit about the organization and what motivated you to dive with them? Uh, yes, I actually um, was introduced to them a few years ago while writing about my experience being a Black scuba diver because it is like many other activities or organizations or hobbies, you know, it sometimes may not be as diverse as you would expect it to be, especially from a personal perspective. Like I don't know many African-American divers, especially of my close friends and family, um, maybe one, and I can't even really think of who that is <laughs> right now. So in writing um, one, of, one or two of my travel articles on being a um, black scuba diver and my experience, I was doing research on organizations like Diving with a Purpose and had an opportunity actually to do a four or five page feature for Scuba Diving Magazine on the organization two years ago. So 2019, I actually got a chance to work with them. Um, and Diving with a Purpose is started by Ken Stewart, uh, African-American a diver, senior citizen now, but uh, he's been diving maybe 30 or 40 years. He wanted to start an organization for um, African-Americans and try to connect them with their past of, um, you know, the transatlantic slave trade in a very, in a small but impactful way, because there are a few 
um, sites along the East Coast in which the organization and other other organizations have said that there could be some shipwrecks, um, slave shipwrecks in particular, that would open up opportunities for historians to kind of examine some of the things that happened during the transatlantic slave trade and then connect um, African-American divers with that that past. And then he also started a, a youth organization within the same Diving with the Purpose. And they allow the high schoolers to get certified and then work with them for two weeks over the summer and do things like coral planting. So of course, there's so many places around the world that are um, suffering from like coral habitats um, being bleached or just human impact. So they show these young divers how to uh, plant coral, uh, to regrow them in ocean settings uh, with different instructors. And, and then they also allow them to work with the, with the adults of Diving with a Purpose to do slave ship uh, research and um, actually dive where they think there might be a ship. So, you know, all of this happens during a two-week program that I was able to work with them for a week in 2019 and take photos, have the experience, interview the kids, and um, just do like a very, one, one of the best experiences, I think, I believe, as a diver, being able to work with these minority high schoolers, see how they were able to pick up this hobby like at such a young age <laughs> whereas you know maybe a lot of their peers are doing soccer or uh tennis but you know they're you know they're doing something very unique as a diver and then on top of that you know connecting with their history and searching for these slave ships so I would say that was definitely one of my favorite um experiences as a diver working with diving with a purpose and taking that trip to Florida with the high schoolers. Yeah, and it, I read the article that you wrote and it looked like it was quite a rigorous documentation. Like it was a real archaeology like expedition, um, which seemed so different from probably just diving to, you know, go see the flora and fauna. Like it, it seems like there was very specific things that the kids had to do and document. Oh yeah, for sure. I um, it was very uh, document heavy uh, from a few pers- a few perspectives. One from just being underwater and having to map out. We actually used a practice ship. It wasn't a slave ship, but it was another ship from at least 150 years ago that the historians, archaeologists, underwater archaeologists in Florida allowed the students to practice on and and do document work underwater. So we had these um, these slabs that were water friendly that you can write on and uh, sketch on and it still show up while you're underwater. So that was one aspect of like doing sketching and using measuring tape to measure different artifacts of the ship underwater and sketch those and work with the team on different parts of the ship. Uh, And then in the classroom setting, that was another aspect of transferring that information to like actual paper and then a master plan with all of the the sketches from underwater on one one large uh, paper. So in essence, the the thought behind that was, okay, you know, at some point, hopefully in the near future, there will be a slave ship that they finally fi- find in Florida or along the East Coast. And 
now they've had the practice and experience um, on another sunken ship. And so they can transfer those skills and apply it to, to, their, to their other work. Yeah, it sounds like it was a great training. And, and you're right, like for kids to take that on, it's such a unique uh, experience um, and skill to have to start so, so young. And then so for scuba diving, I know you mentioned that, you know, it's not very diverse. Do you think there are ways that we can encourage more diversity in scuba diving? Like how, how can we bring more, you know, just different people in who aren't necessarily... Uh, we're not seeing as like avid scuba divers. It's, a, it's kind of hard to see how to get people in to diving outside of like me writing. I think writing and especially from a Black perspective and making it the headline, <laughs> you know, I'm a Black scuba diver and this is my experience, you know, sort of draw people in. I think that is probably my most personally impactful way, but for, for just the average person, I think just having that conversation, because even me, when it's, when I'm having a conversation with friends and family, like women or, you know, Black Hispanic people or, you know, different diverse um, types of people that could potentially be interested in diving, you know, they say, oh, I want to, I'm interested, but it really is like taking those steps to making it happen. For some reason, doesn't seem to be so easy for me uh, when I have those conversations. So I don't know if it's just something that's daunting and or expensive, you know, because it isn't, depending on where you are, it may not be cheap, uh, but if you know how to, you know, network and find instructors, find shops that are, are cheaper, more cost efficient than others, it could be, it could be reasonable, manageable for vacation, you know, for example, to the Caribbean or Mexico to find half day of diving for maybe $150. So, you know, for an average excursion, that's not bad. I think, you know, the challenge I've, I've seen personally is just, you know, friends and family saying, oh, I do want to try diving, but like actually getting them to take the, the first steps towards getting their certification. It's not, uh, it's not super easy. So, yeah, I, yeah, it could be a couple layers. Um, I think my personal impact, I think, is being able to show on Instagram or social media, like some great diving photos to get people interested and then having a conversation with people um, through DMs, you know, saying, hey, you know, I know that you're diving and such and such, you know, can you tell me more about your experience or where I should, where I could go, like what dive shop? Um, and then, of course, just through writing my articles. So I think that's my personal way because that opens up like more opportunity for people to see see that kind of activity. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of like it's normalizing it a little bit, you know, like, yeah, I, you know, let's go scuba diving. And then that sounds like it's a little bit of accessibility uh, maybe some, maybe some barriers, but it sounds like it doesn't have to be. If you know how to, you know, go in a maybe less expensive way that it, that it is accessible. And then also, um, there are local chapters of, it's called NABS, the National Association of Black Scuba Divers. Let me make sure I had that right. And they actually have chapters in most major cities. And I would say they are like mostly retirees, like 50 and older, but I think one of their goals is to attract more millennials or Generation X uh, divers so that they can keep their organization going uh, with younger, you know, younger divers that are interested in, you know, joining the, this, this sport. 
I think that's a great organization for people to at least, especially, you know, African-American um, people to be interested or get interested in, and hear other stories uh, of people that have been diving for a while and see that it is available. And there's ways to get on group trips. Like I know MAPS has, has been all over the world on their uh, group excursions you know, from the Philippines to Australia to, you know, places in the Caribbean. And that way that they're, they're spreading camaraderie and, you know, they're able to network within themselves. So I would say like seeking out different dive chapters, whether it's NABs or other places could be a way to, you know, at least get more information. Yeah, and you said that the demographic tends to be older, um, but I think what a great way to learn. I mean, there's, that's like a wealth of experience that, you know, maybe if you're like a millennial, you know, that you could learn from, um, it seems like such an asset. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay. And so, um, I'm curious, what is maybe one thing or a few things that were really like interesting that you saw underwater that just kind of maybe like took your breath away or surprised you? Was there like, I don't know, it could be flora or it could be like wildlife. Was there anything that um, was just like super interesting that you've seen? Yeah, I would say uh, in the diving of cenotes in Tulum, like I said, it's a very magical experience. One of the ways is when you're diving through what's called um, the halocline. Um, it's a, it's where fresh water and salt water meet and it forms, it forms this, sort of layer of, um, it almost looks like oil, if you can imagine, if you can imagine um, diving through oil and just like, I, cause I wasn't prepared for it. So the first time I saw it, it was like, it kind of freaks you out because everything in front of you, like if there's usually a diver in front of you, an instructor, when you go through the cenotes because they're leading the way through these tunnels, <laughs> and he became very like, wavy, his fins, his body, everything in front of, in front of you um, from that halocline layer, um, it, it becomes distorted, I guess. So, but once I figured out what it was, it, you know, it, it was, it's fine. But, you know, the first time you see it, it's just like, you know, not only are you uh, underwater in a, in a cave, now you're kind of passing through this oily, it looks like oily substance, but it really is just um, where fresh water and salt water meet and creates this hazy layer. And then as far as marine life, when I went to uh, the Bahamas, I uh, did a, a hammerhead excursion, hammerhead shark excursion, where they actually go to a place where these giant hammerheads pass by for, I don't know if it's for mating or for feeding, but they're very plentiful in this area. So the guides, they have this chum, which is like chopped up bits of fish that they use to lure their hammerheads. Once they come, once the hammerheads come, you know, they're literally swirling all around you, above you, around you. And, and they're, and they're, they don't, they're not like eating, they don't want to eat people. They're not um, interested in human, <laughs> in human meat, um, but they are, uh, um, you know, swarming around you to get the, the bits of fish that the instructors are passing out and they're giant hammerheads so they're very they're very long um I can't really say how many feet but huge and just beautiful creatures and 
just to see them up close with their the eyes on the side of their heads. I believe they like they evolved in one of the the eras of the dinosaurs, so they are very like old species. And you know, like for me, I, I like I told you earlier, I'm really interested in anything that's very like old and like historic. It's very surreal and amazing to me to be in that kind of presence. Um, so I love seeing the hammerheads like that underwater I would say in 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 uh, the Maldives actually was very interesting because the coral in some places is very shallow and so you can see a lot at not at the surface but not having to go so deep you, there is a lot to see even at like 15 or 20 feet so you can literally free dive if you wanted um, but I scuba dive and saw I think out there my first octopus uh, I've seen several since then, but it was my first encounter with an octopus being in the Maldives and just seeing how it was like a chameleon, like changing colors, depending on what coral was on and just moving around. And, um, and then, you know, you see a change from like orange to like more of a purple spotted color. And I thought that was very, very amazing. I mean, it was probably only the size of my hand, but beautiful. Yeah, those all sound amazing. I mean, the, how you were describing Halicon, where the fresh water was meeting the salt water. I mean, it just sounds so fascinating. And to be able to experience that, I don't know. Okay. So I think the cenote was probably like one of the top, you know, on the top of the list um, of locations to dive. And you've mentioned so many. So what would be like your number two, number three? I'm putting cenote up there just because the way you described it is so amazing. <laughs> but of course. No, no, no. That is definitely number one. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I would say number two would be the St. Lucia, as I mentioned earlier, a beautiful like national park that has been preserved for decades. And so a lot of the marine life and the coral is very like healthy there. And um, so I, I love. I love being in St. Lucia and honestly it's, it's kind of a unlikely place but I really enjoyed Negril, Jamaica. They have a lot of shelves like on the, in their underwater landscape. There's a lot of like coral shelves and like tunnels that you can go through uh, and you can just see beautiful like seahorses like I saw a lot in the grill and I and I was it was one of those unexpected destinations that I didn't I didn't really have high hopes I guess <laughs> I just didn't really know what to expect so um the grill I really enjoyed and then the Maldives um I actually dived with these um the giant manta rays there were um maybe five or six of them around at one time diving um or swimming above you while you're diving or around you and they move really slowly when they're being cleaned by these small organisms like there's a cleaning station in the Maldives we went to for the manta rays and they go there specifically to get their um their fins and their bodies cleaned by these small fish so they're really just moving very slow and tranquil and you know you see their the huge um bodies just kind of in in space like in very slow motion it's so beautiful um so I would say yeah those are kind of my top four Tulum Jamaica St. Lucia and then the Maldives okay got it so that that'll be helpful for listeners when they start planning their <laughs> scuba trips um okay so where can people find out more about you 
So I have an Instagram, uh, AJ Every Day. I have a website with a lot of my travel articles. It's just my full name.com, adriannejordan.com, A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N.com. So yeah, those are two places. Uh, my emails on my website. Um, I'm always happy to like ask, answer questions that people have about travel in general or scuba diving or adventure. Great. So can you tell me about uh, your most meaningful travel experience? It could either be scuba diving or totally non-scuba diving related, but just something that an experience that was really meaningful to you, left an impact. Uh, I would definitely say the Diving with a Purpose, their youth organization, working with them for a week and diving with these high school students. I think just generally when you incorporate kids into travel, like through different organizations, like Diving with a Purpose, you're able to see travel through their eyes. And if you're older than a high schooler, (laughs) like, you know, you're already, you know, an adult and you kind of you're able to look back and say, wow, if I had experienced this, you know, in middle school or high school, this would have given me so many opportunities to grow and mature and kind of understand more about the world and diversity, different cultures, different ways of living, food, poverty, because you see so much poverty, like when you travel as well, especially like third, what you consider third world countries. And I think that just opens up your mind so much. So just I would say that was one of my most impactful experiences, like traveling with the high schoolers, diving with them and seeing them work towards a common goal of, you know, creating this master plan of underwater shipwreck. And then seeing the camaraderie that students had with with their instructors. Yeah, it sounds like it was a really meaningful experience. So Adrian, thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences, your tips around travel and scuba diving. I know I am like, when do I get, go get certified so I can get out and go see these places? Um, you've gotten me really like excited about scuba diving and exploring the world in, a, in just in a different way. Um, so thank you so much for coming on here and sharing that with us. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Explorer and You podcast. Don't worry, we have a new episode every week. Subscribe so you don't miss it. And don't forget to visit explorerandyou.com for more inspiration and tips. If you want to share the love, you're welcome to send this podcast to others. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.